Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we discuss works of horror through a progressive lens. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley. I write comics, books, podcasts, screenplays, etc. And on each episode, we talk about a piece of horror fiction and look for feminist, racial, and social justice, LGBT rep, physical, and mental disability, and all the works of female POC and LGBT creators. We recognize horror as a genre never agreed to this podcast, but my favorite thing about horror movies is being surprised. And there's nothing more surprising than a horror movie that has something important to say, in between the screams, of course. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 2019 movie After Midnight. And with me to do that is fellow comics books writer Ben Kahn, whose work you might know from Heavenly Blues, Griffin, and the upcoming Renegade Rule. Also talking with us is psych professor, comic psychology consultant, and one half of the Gotham Outsiders at Batman Book Club podcast, Chris Carey. And our special guest tonight is psychology doctorate student and masculinity researcher, Carly Richard. Carly, Chris, Ben, I've got a couch in front of my door and I'm drinking straight whiskey from the <laughs> bottle. You ready to talk about monsters? I am. And yeah. I have along with me one of the main characters of this movie, Wine. This, I, I as well have that. Um, I actually have a comment. When we get to it later, I actually have some commentary to read because one of my best, oldest and best friends in the world is actually a sommelier in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. oh! so I, I actually had an expert on Georgia wines <laughs> to reach out to. Did they feel very judged by this movie? <laughs> uh, I didn't tell them about this movie. At some point, I'm definitely... I would love to show them this movie if they weren't like definitely adverse to horror movies. Uh, I recently made them watch Us for our like little friends group movie club and they have yet to forgive me for it. Yeah, well, that, you did kind of jump in the deep end. <laughs> I did. I did. You know what? After Midnight was a very good movie to watch this week because my mental state has very closely matched tanks. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, uh, before we get too deep into that, Carly, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what you study? What your special credentials are you bringing to this movie? Yeah, my special credentials. I went to West Point for a year and a half. My partner served in the military, come from like a big military family. So I think I've seen up close and personal a lot of traditional masculinity. Um, and I've also seen masculinity be a helpful thing and also an incredibly harmful thing for the people that I love and care about. And so I started to become super interested in issues of masculinity and essentially positive masculinity, minority masculinities. Uh, and also, I guess identifying spaces and ways in which men can become more comfortable with their emotions. Um, and access those emotions and also develop male friendship. So that's kind of been the focus of my research over the last two, three years. Uh, and I'm a clinical doctorate student now. So there was definitely a lot of themes throughout this movie that I think uh, really tie into the, the research right now. All right. So uh, let's get into our, our non-spoilery segment here so we can tell folks a little bit about the movie before we jump into this, just in case they're thinking they, maybe they want to check it out as well. Um, and they don't want us to ruin it quite yet. So uh, it's, it's called After Midnight. It came out in 2019. It is directed by Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella and written by Jeremy Gardner, 
who is also the main character, Hank, in the story. So he is you know, a triple threat in this movie alone. It also stars uh, Brea Grant, uh, Henry Zabrowski, Justin Benson. And let's see, just I guess what in the way of uh, trigger warnings, what do you guys this think we need to talk about? This movie is so refreshing because they're really there's there's hardly anything. I was trying to think about this. Uh, Cat there death, is, yeah, right? there is like, still vi- there is still some violence towards animals. Violence towards animals, but okay, we're watching horror though. I was like, it was nice to not have to prepare myself for like a rape scene or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know what? Considering uh, that like what actually happens to the animals, it's much more grisly in this movie. It's much less disturbing than the Babadook. That's true. That oh, absolutely. This is like like how upset I was at animal death. This is like a two to Babadook's 11. Yeah, that's, that's real. <laughs> I mean, generally that's the way I feel about cats versus dogs anyway. But... Hey now, I love cats. I will defend cats. <laughs> Well, I think it was also a very conscious decision for, aside from a very brief flashback, to never actually show the cat on screen. (laughs) This is true. Versus Babadook just having the cutest fucking dog in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Still upset about that. There's a couple of jump scares. Um, There's a bit in the way of cop gaslighting in this. The the cop character in this is just, he's just the worst. Boy, Um, should I just go ahead and lead off since this is what I do and say fuck that character? (laughs) So I feel like- We'll get there soon enough. We'll get there, sorry. He was definitely our chip. He was our chip. Has any character ever been so- smugly a chip <laughs> no i know we have to let jeremy get through this before we get distracted by how much we hate him <laughs> oh he's the worst yeah i mean there's and i i would guess other than that there's you know a bit of alcoholism there's a bit of you know codependency but nothing nothing else yeah really this is surprisingly light on triggers for a horror movie honestly yeah. it was refreshing after the kind of leads, into, <laughs> leads into the question of of where we put it on the the spoopy to existentially disconcerting uh, side of things um, emotionally affecting yeah i was gonna say the one that made me cry the most <laughs> there's definitely nothing there's terrifying some, here yeah there's some spooky moment jump scares but for a horror movie it's pretty not very like it's focused more on character mm-hmm. i think if you wanna if you wanted to start someone on a horror movie and you didn't want them angry at you uh, as ben did with us you could start them on after midnight like this is a pretty yeah. light mm-hmm. horror movie to begin with yeah I, that's what i was saying i was reading a review on it and one of the things they noted was that it like transcends a singular category which i think mm-hmm. is totally oh, true for sure honestly it was such a weird unique experience for me right i feel like i wasn't really enjoying it while I was watching it. But Mm -hmm. the more time I've had to sit with it and think about it, the more I like it. I'm so glad. I felt so Mm -hmm. sad when you were sending me live updates and they were all negative and I was like, oh. (laughs) I think it's fascinating in that this movie is sort of a romantic drama in which one of the partners is not present for most of the movie. The last 20 minutes does a lot of heavy lifting for this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I feel like this is a movie that will work a lot better on rewatch because I feel like a lot of my problems with the first hour of this movie was I was desperately flailing for context that (laughs) isn't delivered until the last 20 minutes. And now that I have that, having seen it a first time, I feel like I'm going to appreciate the first hour way more on a rewatch. I think yeah. that's true. So I've seen it twice now because I, I was the one that recommended Same. this one. Certainly the second watch through, I felt like the beginning, I feel like you see the the cracks in what's happening a little bit more. Like it's more obvious what's coming if, if you already know, because that makes sense. But it's there. There's like hints in it that you wouldn't notice the first time through. A lot of my notes are going like, wait, they've been together how long? Wait, they live where? <laughs> 
Wait, when did he get that beard? Are they in Florida? Oh, no, no. In Florida? No, no, they were in Florida. They're not in Florida, are they? No, they are absolutely in yeah. Florida. They're they're either in Florida, Georgia, I or... I thought they were in Georgia. But it, they do say it's like five hours from Miami, which yeah. would put it pretty far south um, to either be in Florida or southern Georgia. Yeah, I assume Georgia, I was really, and I don't know why. I guess the wine was. From I was Georgia. getting big Georgia or Louisiana vibes, and then Palm Tree showed up, and I'm like, "Oh shit, it's a Florida movie." Again, somewhere I, in the South, in rural South. Anyway, uh, before we jump wholly into the spoilers here, uh, generally, would you guys recommend that people watch this? Is it something you think people should check out? Yes. In fact, I did. That's why we're watching it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Definitely. I'm, I'm with you too. I, I do think it's good. What do you think, Carly? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A definite yes to that. It's Yay. just so, it's so unique. And like, it's got a lot of style to it too. Like, <laughs> Such a funny way to put it. But yeah, it does. I mean, it's not like the cause of more just like it has like a unique aesthetic that it hits yeah. to great effect is a better way of putting it. Maybe. I just imagined the movie popping its collar and walking in. <laughs> Hank would never pop his collar. He would never. Hank would <laughs> never. Yeah, he Hank would immediately judge somebody whose color was popped. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, now we're gonna get into the real like spoilery section here. So if if you do want to watch this movie, you haven't seen it yet, and you don't want us to ruin it for you, this is the time to go ahead and pause the podcast, and you can come back to it later. We'll be just as funny then, I promise. <laughs> all right. So now that they're gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh what what are our first impressions what do you want to say like sort of off the bat that's you know, maybe a little spoilery about it i guess feel about it so i talked a lot about it. it was like this is definitely a movie that as i was watching it i was really confused by and then at the end once i had all the context i'm like okay i see what this was saying now and it works mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was, so the reason I was drawn to this movie is because um, Bria Grant, who is our lead um, woman in it, is, she hosts a podcast called Reading Glasses, which has been what's getting me through the pandemic. Like it's my stress podcast. So I love it. And she was talking about this and described, you know, being in it and how fun it was to be in a feminist horror movie and things like that. And I was like, well, I've got to see this. And she called it a horror romance too, which I then realized I'd never seen before. So I immediately jumped on that and I loved it. I loved it the first time. So I had a slightly different experience than you, Ben, because I was just ready for it. But I definitely enjoyed the second half better than the first the first time through and i enjoyed the whole movie the second time through i i I had in my notes at a certain point i'm like fucking have a conversation why are you having a conversation (laughs) fucking sit down have a conversation and then they finally sit down and have a conversation and from then on i'm like i am so on board i also appreciate that the scene where they have the conversation is easily the longest scene in the movie Mm -hmm. Single nice. take, like what a great like single take. Like oh, I feel like we always, think of, we always think of single take shots as these like big elaborate things. Like look how much action, look how crazy a set piece we're getting all at once. Mm-hmm. But just to have this like raw, honest, emotional dialogue all in one take and one shot. Fantastic. Yeah. It was gorgeous. You know, I feel like you'd lose some of the atmosphere if you did it. But this movie, other than like, the, the bits that are outside, I feel like could very easily be a stage play. Like it could be- I thought the exact same thing. It has yeah. a very stage vibe to it. I mean, like, I feel like the sets you would need, you need like woodlands, the house, 
and the bar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, could, this would absolutely work as a stage play. I mean, in most of the scenes, it's either Hank and Abby or Hank and Wade or Hank and Shane and then a couple group scenes. What, do you, what was your take, Carly? It's hard to pull like one thing, but I would say one of the main things that stood out to me is just like how relatable the characters are in terms right. of like being from a small town. Yeah. I feel like I can see replications of this relationship over and over again. Um, but except at the end, they actually have the conversation that's critical, right? Um, yeah. So I feel like it's also a really good thing to maybe take your, have your partner watch if you're like <laughs> struggling to have that conversation. <laughs> that's so subtle. Watch this movie with me. <laughs> yes. Like, do you, do you remember that movie? Oh my yeah. gosh, same. Uh, yes. That's all you have to say. You just watch Is the whole movie how... with them and then just put your hand on their, their leg and just be like, same. <laughs> Is that, how we, is that how we do healthy emotional conversations? <laughs> I heard that's the first step. <laughs> Show them a movie to prime them in advance. So that's what I did with my kids in the Babadook. So, oh, oh, no. God. <laughs> Scarred for life, but, you know, effective. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, yes. let's jump into this because we're immediately going to start with probably the biggest obstacle to watching this movie which is uh, the order of in which things happen in this movie. Oh. Because uh, is, there's a lot of like flashing back. Om- almost the entire story of, of the relationship in this is told through flashbacks. And I do have a criticism about the flashbacks. That was not fixed in hindsight. It's just how many of the flashbacks are that like Hallmark movie card okay, yes. B-roll I, footage. So yes. I have a thought on that, actually. It is why I like it, okay? I will defend this. Because we're seeing how he sees her up until she comes in, and then she's not this perfect thing anymore. Because mm-hmm. I kind of liked it, because in a lot of horror movies when the character is dead, which I guess, spoiler, she's not, um, it, you know, usually you'll see this, you'll have the husband that's like, wow, she was so perfect. And when I was first watching it, I was like, okay, this is a little one dimensional. But then we meet her and she's not that. That was like a glorified idealistic image. And he was clearly focusing on the memories of when things were good, which is why so many of the flashbacks were from 10 years ago, not their current relationship. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a fair point. My only remaining condemnation, but the phone is gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that's why. I, okay, I'm sorry. I'm no, pretty. I'm, I'm pretty. Just... You're, you're never gonna. You're never gonna win me over no, on the concept no. of like. I'm just gonna rub my foot all. I'm just gonna rub your this, foot all over my this face. This is genuinely <laughs> what watching it again did for me. Though was you can see the annoyance in her eyes. Like she's smiling through it, but she looks so mm-hmm. annoyed in that scene. When you know where their relationship ends up, like I feel like I didn't notice it at first. Mm-hmm. But going back, I was like, oh, she's like I think of that story. <laughs> I swear this is not a tangent, but um, and in uh, when they were filming Aquaman, Jason Momoa apparently would go up to his co-stars. They would be reading during like between scenes, and he would start pulling pages out of their book. This was a thing that happened, uh, and that was what that scene reminded me of. She's just sitting there trying to read. He's putting his gross feet all over her face, and she's just <laughs> like, "Ha ha, funny, honey. Okay, stop." <laughs> this is an interesting way uh, for us to actually get into the first scene of this because there I have a problem with her feet in this first scene. <laughs> She's walking barefoot through like eight foot yes. tall bushes. Oh, I know. It's in, very like, stressful. In the country, in the middle of nowhere. It's very dangerous. Like, I will say, doing. because... Yeah, like, country, I'm, oh, I was not okay <laughs> with that. This, 
I'll say for like right in the like those beginning scenes, like flashbacks, because this podcast has so already trained me to be looking for the Chekhov's gun. <laughs> I came right, I came swinging for the fences right out of the gate with a prediction that ended up not being right oh. in any way, shape, or form. Where I have in my notes Chekhov's cosmic background radiation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is maybe related, but like... I was like, I don't know how they're going to work cosmic background <laughs> back into the plot, but I'm looking here for some cosmic physics. I do love in this movie that it turns out to be about masculinity, that the very first thing our main character does is mansplain radio yes. static, right? Uh, no, I was saying I had like flashbacks to every time something was mansplained to me. Um, <laughs> me too. And... <laughs> Also, when he was like, I still have issue with the fact that he was like, how many girls do you know in this town that would walk through these woods or whatever? And she's like, oh, no one. And I'm like, is this your flashback, sir? Or like, I feel like people would walk through the wood. Like, I don't think this is just You're one girl. Of nowhere. But well, yeah, that like, was also no like, other girls. Like, I, we, as far as we've seen, there are 10 people in this town. So maybe what he was saying was there are no other girls. I really didn't. I really didn't have context. Like, did you find that Hank's voice was different in the flashbacks versus the present day? Mm. Oh. Like, I feel like the kind of rural accent was more pronounced in mm. the like in the present day than the flashbacks. So that was another point of confusion. Like I was spending a lot of the movie just trying to figure out like, oh, like did they meet in the city and then move to the country? Like I think it's did- just he's playing very like haggard in the current day. Like yeah. Same same accent. It's just not a. Uh, it's slightly drunker. Mm-hmm. There's been some alcohol added to it's that got accent. A, it's, it's got 80% more beard in the accent. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Like, so, and then I was like, oh, they must have met in the city. And then he must have like brought her to a rural community. And she's feeling like chafed under that. But then the brother showed up. I'm like, oh, but she's from the town. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of the context that I didn't full, have the full picture of until like near the end of the movie yeah yeah i i didn't have a huge issue with that i i do me either it is a little weird with the flashbacks and the pacing of some of the stuff it's almost like a mystery that in something that is not meant to be a mystery um i thought it was going to be um like some sort of post-apocalyptic movie because when he comes to on the couch right and like i didn't know if setting up this radio is going to be very important and then oh, I, I it, that. that was shattered when I saw him shoot at the car. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is where I thought the plot was you going. You thought it was like a, a 10 Cloverfield Lane situation? Yes. In yes. hindsight, him shooting at the car is really when I should have known this movie is in Florida. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Florida man shoots at car. <laughs> Florida man sees a monster. I feel like, okay, I feel like the reason I thought this movie wasn't in Florida is that more people were not on board with his monster theory, which seems like it would fly better in Florida. That's like all the conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, of course. <laughs> See, I, I feel like it wasn't in Florida because they were like, black bears, not it's an alligator because in florida it's always an alligator (laughs) are there i don't even think there are black bears in florida i could be very wrong on that but i don't think there are i mean if there is something that will kill you it lives in florida you're right there are monkeys in florida so there is a whole species just called a florida black bear (laughs) what (laughs) is that real (laughs) that is real it is a subspecies of the black bear the only black bear that has bath salts (laughs) Uh, let's get into the plot here a little bit because it does open up with this flashback we have abby wandering through a field or through bushes not even a field through bushes barefoot (laughs) 
and there's radio <laughs> static. Then we, we cut to like the inside of this house. We have Hank and Abby snuggling in this house, having semi-romantic times while he makes <laughs> playing static to her. Um, Semi, semi-romantic for sure. Who? Okay. Does anyone think that setting up a mattress in the middle of your dirty house is a terrible birthday present? Mm, or is it yes. just me? I, I have in my notes, there is no way this guy's dick is as good as a real present. <laughs> So I feel like, honestly, we can talk about the masculinity. How do I introduce the concept of oral sex elegantly? (laughs) That was it. You did it. it. (laughs) Nailed it. Oral sex has entered the chat. This is real real millennial romance, right? I have a house. Oh. (laughs) I have a real big house. House. (laughs) There's no furniture in it, but it's a house. It's like, oh, I've never met a man that owns a house before. And that's real. Honestly. I feel like that's the. I feel like it's the reverse millennial in that none of us own houses, but we've all got a shit ton of crap from IKEA. <laughs> it's true. We were watching this movie, going like, "Ooh, what's that like?" It's like I've I met a man put, who has I a house and room so for ma- me to put all of my IKEA furniture in. <laughs> the dream. Sex is terrible, but he has room for every piece of furniture I have. He has this one mixtape with one song on it, but at least there's house. (laughs) I could put so many memory foam bean bags in this house. Yeah, so we we have them snuggling, warmly joking about... uh, I don't know if we've gotten to the mixtape yet at this point. No, the mixtape comes up in the next bit. I think it comes... Oh, I thought it came up, but they don't say what it is yet. Maybe it's in the next bit. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the tape gets mentioned here, but it... This turns out to be a very long payoff for the tape. <laughs> that ends up being completely worth it. Right? Yeah, I was so surprised. It was Chekhov's it. It one song tape. <laughs> I was definitely thinking, like, there's no way you have a song that's going to live up to this hype. But, yes, at this point, we get a, a jump to the present. Uh, Hank is shooting his shotgun at the front door. He is, uh, there, there's something at his front door clawing. He, he shoots a shotgun, shoots a hole in his own front door. Yeah. So what was, I guess, what Fuck was your guys' immediate it, response to Hank, we've all been there. <laughs> 2020's been hard. If you told Fuck me it was it. a single year between those <laughs> scenes, I'd be like, yes. You know what? I, I envy this man. I, I would love to have the uh, ability to fall apart that much in a month. But if my wife disappeared, I'd be like, shit, I got to figure out what to do with these kids every day. Get them out of the house. I got to feed them. I guess this is a scenario where it's June and they're already at summer camp. Man, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Breakdown summer. Except for next year. Next year, we're calling it breakdown summer in 2021. (laughs) Yeah, but then uh, so... We get him shooting through the door, and I think this is where we get the uh, the movie title screen, and we go immediately back to the flashback, which is where we get the uh, introduction to our recurring wine, the peanut noir. Yes, the peanut noir. <laughs> I I want to try it. I mean, it sounds terrible, but I really okay. want to try it. Hank will point so out I, repeatedly that it is not made of peanuts. There are no peanuts in it. It's just from Georgia, and it's it's made in a peanut plantation. A peanut- plantation yeah so i i asked my Somali, my atlanta sommelier friend about georgia wine uh-huh. so for all you horror aficionado uh wine enthusiasts i feel like so we need a separate like musical bridge for this section <laughs> yes right. like a masterpiece <laughs> theater kind of our movie pairing <laughs> some uh infer- some background information about georgia wine most uh, Georgia wineries are in the northern part of the state and around the Appalachian mm. area. The use it 
blend of native grapes and traditional wine grapes from other regions. And mm -hmm. the native wines tend to either come in a uh, particularly sweet or particularly sour flavors. Do any of them taste like peanut butter and jelly as implied in this mm -hmm. movie? <laughs> I don't believe so, but my friend did recommend uh, if you're looking for Georgia wines, she recommended uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. Hmm. Okay. And I, I've created a new theme song for this, which is Sweet Georgia Wine. Bum, <laughs> dun, dun, bum, dun. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, this is also where we discover uh, our, our other recurring character, the mixtape that just says "For Julie," which uh, is is not the name of the you know, the the girlfriend in this section. It was Abby. No, it's a Abby it's is... a real chasing Amy type situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We are never introduced to Julie. We will never meet Julie. We don't know anything about Julie. Um, we do get a whole bunch of amazing jokes about horror movies in this part where they're talking about his ex-girlfriends, though, mm -hmm. which I liked a great deal. <laughs> like the, uh, where are you? Where, where is she now? And he's like, she's still here. They're all still here. <laughs> there is some self-awareness towards horror tropes in this movie that honestly I want to give like a standing ovation to, especially <laughs> really during the big talk scene. Yeah, there really is. I mean, she, I think in the first scene, she says, you've dragged me to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a birthday present. I, I don't, I feel like <laughs> I I'm going to take some of this personally, because just... young Hank really reminds me of myself in a lot of ways when it comes to any sort of like <laughs> flirting. But my idea of flirting is Honestly, young about Hank how I might murder somebody. Honestly, young Hank is a charmer. <laughs> He's like a I charmer, get it. but also like like he needs to calm down. <laughs> I love when she says she needs some wine with all his cheese because I was also like, wow, this is so cheesy. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's I I feel like the the beard's doing a lot of heavy lifting, but between flashback and present day, Hank, I'm like, oh wow, you really do kind of like ten years older. Uh, this is a weird thing to say, but I think the neckline of his shirt is doing a lot of work there too. No, okay, I noticed this. No, too. that's that's also true. That's yeah. all, it's great great wardrobe choices. Yeah, like, actually, I, I forgot to mention that Daisy dress that she's in at the beginning is stunning. Mm, yeah, loved it. Had to call that out. So good. Young Abby is very like country pastoral. She's she's very like a character that's played by Reese Witherspoon in a romantic comedy. <laughs> like, yes, yes. As, as soon as we've discovered this, this mixtape, they've made some jokes about it. They're flirting about <clears throat> mixtapes. Um, and we're back in the present. We're back to Beardy Hank alone in his house. Uh, now with a convenient hole in the door. And we, we get to first look at uh, the note that Abby has left him on the, on the uh, cupboard, which just says, Hank, I had to go away for a while. I'm sorry. I do feel like that's a devastating note. That's like texting someone we need to talk and then when they respond just leaving them unread. <laughs> it it is. It's a, that is an intense way to do any of this to be honest. See, that is like writing like... dear John and then not putting the rest of the letter. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like though at the end there's like clarity on this though. I felt yeah. like I wasn't thrilled with that method of correspondence <laughs> until the end where I was like I feel like this was a Hank issue. Like, oh yeah, no, like the final 20 minutes provides so much context that I yeah. feel like this movie almost requires two viewings to watch mm -hmm. properly. Yes. But like on that first standpoint where I'm just like with Hank and I'm seeing that note and I'm like, I'm, Zook, I'm a Zuko gift. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> See, 
I, I guess this has to do with what I was guessing that had happened at this point. I assumed she was dead for like most of this movie. So I didn't, I was like, he wrote oh, that note himself. I didn't even think it was real. So that note. So I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. I, I do want to compare notes at this point. At this point, what was your thought about what was outside the house, everybody? So I a little bit thought that he was just losing his mind. So I, I had the the experience that Ben had with Babadook where I was like, it's not there. Uh, so I kind of thought he killed her, maybe accidentally. And then all of and this, this was... was a situation. Yeah, it was the telltale heart. Yeah. I did think the monster was real, but I thought Abby was dead. And this was some kind of like vengeance monster and it was some sort of like <laughs> physical embodiment of their relationships hidden toxicity Ooh, i mean it is but in a different way yeah carly what was your take at this point so i think i was still on the apocalypse train at this point um <laughs> so i, I would thought watch when... that show apocalypse train just <laughs> yeah. i would watch you haven't well, seen that movie wait isn't that just snowpiercer i was gonna yeah, say i'm pretty sure that's snowpiercer <laughs> Uh, so I thought she had left that note the world had ended and I was I thought the world was then invaded by these alien creatures that were attempting to get in his house I love that we all had like four different ideas of what (laughs) was happening I I was very much on team like it's it's just a creature like it's uh you know Hmm. it'll come to light later on but you know it's very generic creaturey thing now, I, I bring this up because I watched this with Alicia. Alicia was sure that Abby had become some sort of creature that was trying to get back in the house. Okay, she so that's, on- what, that's what I thought later in the movie. I was going to bring that up too because he makes a joke about that. And uh-huh. right before he had made that joke, because, you know, the monster stops showing up when she shows up. And I was like, werewolf. <laughs> and, then he, <laughs> and then he's like, I thought you were some type of werewolf. And I was like, me too. I spent this entire movie, every like two minutes, trying to guess where it was going. And I was correct zero times. Yeah, me too. Even during the credits, I was... Even like at no at no point did I have any kind of bead on where this film was going. <laughs> I think I the same, honestly. Yeah. We then get the the introduction of the uh, fact that there is a cat. There is an empty bowl of cat food outside. Um, cat Darby, which is such yeah. a great cat name. Uh, he's running around calling Darby. Uh, he hasn't seen Darby in a while. Uh, we then get a flashback to the origin of Darby. Um, which is the second worst birthday present in this movie <laughs> you, you cannot give someone a pet like he even jokes about how he's gifting her 20 years of commitment and she's mm-hmm. like what yeah i don't know what kind of cat darby is but a 20 like a cat that lives 20 years is no my cats live like 18 so okay. wow yeah, I feel, like, I feel like if it's an indoor, like if it's an indoor cat, yeah. like fifteen to twenty years is a fair expectation. Yeah, I'm not sure this cat living in the Florida swamp should have let. No, this cat. No, this cat. No, this cat's getting fucking eaten by a coyote by year four. <laughs> yeah, I was like gonna max. say, do they have indoor cats in Florida? Is that a thing? They do not. <laughs> they have um, crocodile so- treats in Florida. Is what they have. <laughs> So yeah, the, the cat is a present for the for her birthday. I guess this is the next birthday after they've moved into the house. It's pretty unclear. Cat comes in with a balloon tied around it, and they have more cutesy dialogue about, you know. Uh, yeah, she says the cat's going to outlive their relationship, which mm-hmm. turns out no. Whoops, <laughs> on either part. <laughs> and this 
this this loving lovely flashback is broken up by us going back to the present where hank is shooting at passing cars with his shotgun he will claim later that the guy almost ran him over that did not appear to be the case no definitely on the driver's side there he ran out the street hank just shot a man just shot at a man is what happened and honestly I get it. He's had a tough four weeks. As a guy, you're just at like his bumper, and it's just I just want people away from your shit, okay? It's called a Florida hello. I get it, okay? Not no part of this podcast episode is going to reflect well on me. (laughs) I feel like masculinity was highlighted in that moment, though, in like a traditional sense, because he shoots at the car, right? And I'm assuming the driver of this car is a man because this driver stops and it's like they're like weighing like oh like do i go back and challenge (laughs) him and then they were like oh yeah he just shot at my vehicle i should leave and so (laughs) it was like this whole like like the logic wasn't to keep going it was like maybe i should stop and come back yeah that's really true we do get it confirmed later by cop brother-in-law that it was a man and i was mm -hmm. like checks out a hundred percent there's no way i might also stop in that situation not be like do i want to challenge but just out of sheer bewilderment (laughs) (laughs) like i feel like if i'm just driving down truck and then a car and then like someone just hits the back of my car (laughs) with a shotgun like I might just need a second to fully process. This is the proof that we live in different places because I feel like, I don't know if I could speak for you, Carly, but if someone like shot at my car here, I'd be like, that seems right. I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, oh, they realized I voted for Biden. Okay. Yep. 100%. This is this is the problem with all my driving is either like to New York or just through suburban ass Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So we also, uh, we get Hank calling Abby. Uh, her, her phone is going straight to uh, her voicemail. He's leaving her voicemail. We discovered she's, she's been disappeared for a while. Um, and then every night since she left, something has been clawing at the door. And uh, this, this message, him leaving this message is broken up by the appearance of our favorite character, Shane. The ship of the movie. So yes, he is a cop like- and he is Abby's brother. He, yeah. Every movie we do, at some point, I find the chip and I write in my notes, There's all, the cop, all cops are bastards. It's rarely <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, I know. This is, so Chip is the, is the horrible boyfriend from Jennifer's body, Carly, if you don't uh, remember. Yeah. Yes. Since then, we have searched for the chip in every movie. And, and, found, we've, always, and, found, and we've always found one. Because the horror movies always have this character that doesn't believe you and that gaslights you into trying to believe you're not right. In in Jennifer's body, there was the cop and there was the chip. In this movie, they were like, but what if one character? It's always the character that's just like, God, ever since your partner, ever since your partner disappeared and you started getting attacked by a monster every night, you've been a real buzzkill, man. This one was even worse. It wasn't like you've been a buzzkill. It's like you're embarrassing me in front of the neighbors was the whole vibe. Mm -hmm. All chips are bastards. Also, I really feel like Shane had the full ability to stop this at any point. Because presumably, okay, was Shane in contact with her? Like, it, it, yeah, Shane knows that Abby's know. gone somewhere. Shane was Shane was not reacting as if his sister had just vanished off the so, face of the earth. So he asks he asks Shane if he'd been in contact with her, and Shane does not answer. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he has. He knows yeah. where she is. That's why he's so chill about this. Well, that's why I also thought like I was expecting a twist where it's like 
oh, there's something horrible about Hank that, like, we're going to find out later. Because, oh. again, I was... been tr- dead for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> or, or just, the, like, oh, maybe it's just, like, she's, like, he's trying to keep... Like, it was an abusive relationship, and he's, like, making sure he can't get to her. So, like, again, I was tr- constantly trying to guess where this movie was going and was so off the mark every time. Right. Meanwhile, Shane, who is a constant bachelor, apparently, by failing relationships, we learn later, uh, is like, you know, this partner you've had for 10 years, why are you so upset that she's missing and I won't tell you where she is? Again, owns a house. He he makes bacon and owns a house and he still manages to be the word. I'm like, on paper, (laughs) you're fucking husband material and yet you suck so hard. Is that all it takes? Also, he owns lives- a house, makes me bacon. That's all I ask for. In a <laughs> he lives alone in this large house in the country by himself and wears a robe in the morning just oh, gosh. around. As um, if we didn't know he was a tool. It was a nice robe. <laughs> it was a nice robe. <laughs> I did have the thought, like, well, if you're going to gaslight me, at least feed me bacon. <laughs> yeah, I do was this the like- scene, though, where there was panthers? Was this where he suggested the panther No, that, that, it was Wade that suggests the panthers. <laughs> I feel like oh, Wade was being helpful. Wade. <laughs> Wade was trying so hard. Where <laughs> do we even begin with Wade? So before before we do, we have to talk about the bacon scene because this is the scene where Shade is like, let me explain to you how everyone is stupider than I am. Yes. And that's why we believe in monsters. And he gives him these like, ridiculous facts and he's he go, first yeah. of all we know he is a small town cop he already said he wasn't a detective but then he's like as a cop i use investigative reasoning and logic <laughs> to solve mysteries and i was like do you what have you ever solved his his only job is stop it is failing to stop underage kids from drinking <laughs> right the most That's excitement it. he has had was realizing his almost brother-in-law shot at somebody yeah. randomly. listen cool. once once a week shane posts on twitter that if batman just gave his money to charity that there wouldn't be any crime in gotham city <laughs> You're like, right. He's that guy. Batman that begins, guy. and I love it because Batman begins kind of thoroughly addressed that argument. <laughs> it, Shane is a hundred percent that guy. He he has one like explanation for everything you say to him, and that's mm-hmm. it. And it's basically amounts to other people are stupid. Why are you listening to people, well, yeah. you sheep? <laughs> Shane knows the effects he... of every color kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the scene where he's like. Yeah, it's clearly a black bear that got at your door. And he's like, it's not a black bear. It comes here every night. And it goes past all of my trash cans out there mm-hmm. and comes to my door to scratch at it. How how does that sound like a black bear at all to you? Shane's like, right. no, definitely a black bear, dummy. <laughs> yeah, there is no reason to look into this further. Or, or any reason to, I don't know, confiscate that gun. Let's just... <laughs> Hey, now that is the most Florida accurate bit of. You're right. You're right. It's probably true that they wouldn't bother. Let's let's not go crazy here, Chris. (laughs) They would definitely be like, "Here, you seem like you're mentally unwell. Would you like some more bullets?" Just out of. (laughs) Like Hank then heads off to uh, what turns out to be his bar, I guess his and Mm -hmm. and Abby's bar. It's a little unclear at this point. Another another thing that did not make sense until the last twenty minutes of the movie. I realized it was his bar. He was buying the supplies for it and everything. Yeah. I thought I, I was like, oh, are you like a keg delivery guy? Is that <laughs> your job? 
Oh, I, so this is where we get introduced to the best character. Oh my god, Wade. Mm-hmm. Wade. <laughs> really strange man we come in on him telling a story too and the story i didn't catch it the first time but the second time through the story he's telling is that he screams about a spider and then he gets embarrassed so he tells his wife it was an intruder yeah. and then he doesn't understand why she was upset yeah he's, he's telling this, the bartender his name is either special. jane or jade um, yes, yes. Un, it's unclear In the credits it says jade but all the subtitles said jane so <laughs> I heard Jane as well. So that's I confusing. heard Jane too. Serve as in poor. Well, what she does to wait is questionably called serving. <laughs> <laughs> that part was oh. the grossest part of the whole. Oh, oh grossest that was and somehow most believable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure. Again, we live in a college town. Someone here has done that, and that's how Look. they got COVID. Some, <laughs> but we all. At some point in our early to mid twenties, no, either knew, <laughs> either okay. knew someone like that or were that person. I was gonna say if you were gonna say did that, I was gonna be like, un- no, no, under I wasn't no gonna say were. I wasn't gonna say. I wasn't gonna say were. But we all knew that person. If you can't name the Wade in your college friend group. It was you. Wade uh, has been drinking, uh, wants to drink more, uh, but they're discussing. That he has in the past drank what he calls a gorilla fart, which is <laughs> when you just take the bar mat and pour all of the these spills and runoffs from the bar mat into a drink and drink that as a shot. I was a bartender for years and I'm kind of mad that nobody suggested this as like a free <laughs> option for them. I also am curious, does it like actually taste that bad, right? Because like it's, it's hard it's hard liquor. How much flavor is there in there right. to start with? Right. And then you have like some random syrups in there. I'm assuming yeah. like, yeah, it's like jungle juice. Wait, is every fucking Florida man headline you've ever seen. <laughs> he is. And he's so sweet. I just want to hug him the entire movie. They, they do this again. Wade uh, drinks a, a gorilla fart, which he is then <laughs> rewarded for by Hank with, with a free drink before Hank decides to uh, go home and fall asleep on the couch looking looking at pictures of his wife on the uh on his cell phone is there southern gothic elements of this you think i mean the house is definitely southern yeah i think it touches on it it's it's southern gothic i feel like is usually like those big manor houses and like or at least that's that's my experience of southern gothic so i don't know this is like um southern gothic that explores a different class level maybe other Southern Gothic stuff has a real sort of antebellum feel to it. Yeah, yeah it's that's like, what I was saying. It's, it's like, I feel like I guess Southern Gothic is really defined by the antebellum era, which there really yeah. isn't any influence in here. Aside from, I guess, just the general architecture of the house. Yeah, yeah. Cause like, I do think Southern Gothic is usually more like the higher class part of the South, too, which I think class is an interesting thing we'll get into that I feel like this is the first movie that's really addressed it that we've talked about or does some things toward it. I don't know about addressing it, but. Uh, he's awoken by the thing at the door. It sticks a bit of a hand in the door before he notices it there. Now, and, would you uh, have described that as a hand? Because he describes it as a hand. It looked like a claw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it definitely, I mean, it, it has like, fingers though. It's yeah, not it a paw. Those, were, those are clearly fingers. Are they fingers or like talons? Like there was a, there was some mm. clickety like nails on the end there were appendable digits digits which then had claws on the end and it was freaky honestly when it actually like i was like oh 
Like I like I like jump back a little bit. This scene very much reminds me of like the one scary scene in Signs where like you do see <laughs> you know the like shadow of the thing behind the window and then you yeah. see the bit of the hand come through the door and you're like is that and you know he sees it oh, as gosh. just as you're trying to figure out what it is spins around and shoots the shotgun out the door. Um, right and he he is this so Shane give it, gave him the advice to take a picture of it which worst fucking advice. Yeah, yeah great Shane yeah. See something, say something. <laughs> Fuck off. He's like, could you could you give me a description of the black bear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he tries to take several pictures of it and is very unsuccessful. What I do appreciate about this is it feels very much like real life. If you tried to take a picture of this thing after you had just woken up, like right. while it had stuck its crazy looking claw in the door, there's With a no shitty way whatever camera. you got would be a good picture. <laughs> With a very shitty camera too. <laughs> One of them's got a bit of his thumb in it. <laughs> oh, I loved a thumb photo. That was great. Yeah, and he, he tries to run around to the outside to get a picture of it, and it does this like this is the one the one point in the movie where I was like, maybe it's not real because it does this like real quick disappears something shaking in the distance like. Mm-hmm. Bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the one reason why I was pretty confident the monster was real throughout was because I didn't look up the summary or anything, but the one thing like I saw beforehand was like the poster. Which is gorgeous. I love that poster. Yeah, which is gorgeous and shows like the monster. And I'm like, oh, they did not get that good a design if they're not going to actually show it Mm -hmm. like at some point. Like that has to be like in the movie. Mm -hmm. So this leads into my favorite scene, uh, favorite first half scene, I will say, which is Wade and him trying to hunt this monster and having a conversation. It's the greatest thing. He's called Wade over and they're they're looking at the porch where this thing is you know spilled all the cat food and but you know messed up the door <laughs> and wade I, suggests I, that it is a cat <laughs> i have i have a note here and i remember the vague context but i really do not know what was going through my head when i wrote this please wade tell us. knows that what's up with panther sex <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so <laughs> wade <laughs> wade says that panthers are on the rebound they're mating again <laughs> What does that mean? Wade? My very next note is I will never be high enough for Wade. Is is Wade the Tiger King? A- be parentheses, yes. Parentheses. <laughs> alien talk scene. Carly, right? He's Tiger yeah. King. Secretly, that's, that's how he's making money. I, yes. Now I can confidently say that Wade is not Tiger King because we meet his wife later. <laughs> the biggest reveal of this movie is that Wade's wife is black this is the one thing I feel comfortable commenting on from my experience in this movie is uh, there's no way Wade's black wife is going to let him have a, a, a tiger <laughs> Panther. situation going on in his yard. That's her. <laughs> on her property. Not going to happen. Right. You're right. Wade just dreams of being Tiger King. That's what it is. I so badly need an ABC sitcom spinoff starring Wade and his wife. <laughs> they're so great. And they're like really happy, which was kind of fun to see. They mm-hmm. love each other so much. They do. How could you not love Wade? I love him so much. Yeah, this is, this is also where we get Wade's discussion of uh, aliens. And, uh... <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> He calls it some real dark crystal shit. Yeah, yeah that what was they would amazing. look like coming from, you know, lower gravity and some real dark crystal shit. I'm, I'm glad Wade is a Timber. I'm glad Wade is a Jim Henson fan. Yeah. And, and then he's like, and this wasn't a horror movie. It was the Discovery Channel yes. in the daytime. Yes. <laughs> they normally. That was a oh, great wait. series of words. <laughs> so good. 
Well, he also suggests the possibility that it is the cat Darby, but with toxic waste. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Again, Wade That's... is just real. Wade is just knows what this movie would be <laughs> if it was made in the nineties. <laughs> You know, he's he's got all the different like origins of of Marvel superheroes figured out in there. And then uh, (laughs) after he's been suggesting this for a solid like ten minutes, (laughs) finally Hank is like, "Yeah, Abby left me." And okay, uh, Carly, I'm gonna need your thesis on this moment. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I wrote so much about this specific exchange because I feel like it highlights a lot of what we see from a research standpoint of like men's loneliness and Mm -hmm. men's issues with maybe vulnerability, um, especially even still amongst their friendship. And so like I wrote like a couple quotes and I feel like some of these are more pertinent as you progress in the movie. But it's almost as though, right, like, because we know from Shane stopping by that he's not been to the bar in a while and, like, he's probably not seen his friends. And so it's really odd, especially then when we have the context of time. We're assuming, like, some large amount of time has passed and he still has not told his best friend, Wade, right? Like, so Wade has no idea that this is going on. I will say with the bar, sorry for interjecting. No, that was like, oh, you haven't been to your social group or social Mm -hmm. gathering. I didn't realize what Shane was meant. was like, hey, you haven't fucking showed up to work in a Right. Yeah. Yes. Which, so like the friendship piece of that, (laughs) it took Wade having a rant on like aliens (laughs) and them hunting this creature together in the middle of the woods for like Hank to finally get to a place where he's going to like share this with his friend. And so I like kind of highlighted like, this is like the loneliness of the traditional masculinity, right? This like pressure to perform like stoicism. And it's also this like component of straight stoic masculinity, which like forces men to hold their emotions in and avoid intimacy with other men at all costs, um, which impacts not just like their, not just their relationship with that friend, right? But like also puts a lot of pressure on their like intimate relationships for that person to fulfill everything. Right, because she's yeah. his his partner, but he also says his best friend. Right, at yes. one point, I, which I hate that. Which yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> this is this is something I just kind of thought about, and the symbolic Freudian implications. I don't even know. Ooh, how to yes, into. <laughs> let's but get Freudian. Much, yes. Up until the dinner party scene, which is really where we have like a post major character development. Hank, mm-hmm. the only times. Hank and it's really like um the scene here with Wade and um the big scene with Abby the only times Hank is able to be emotionally open is when he's holding a gun Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely because it like offsets that vulnerability right like I'm reasserting my like powerfulness in this situation via my gun I think fun fact is like so from also a research standpoint men are more likely to suffer physical and mental health issues and have suicidal thoughts compared to women after a breakup, which I think is not not what we think happens. Yeah. So also, I feel like, um, so you're saying traditional masculinity. Do you want to explain what that is? Because we would probably on the show, and you can confess to me for this, I would probably say toxic masculinity frequently, yes. but I know you don't like that term. So please yeah. like, correct me. Okay. I, so- I wear too much makeup and dresses to count as traditional masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. Um Yeah. So traditional masculinity. So the like broad set of traits, right. is like emotional suppression, um, stoicism, financial independence. So like that Mm -hmm. protector provider role. Um, and that is kind of like 
the definition, right? Like those are the yeah. traits we think of when we like would traditionally maybe like 1950s def- define what a men's role is supposed to be and how that's not really evolved despite like maybe women's roles more openly evolving. We're kind of still holding men to like pay for the bill, like those kind of things. And so I'm not a fan of toxic masculinity. Masculinity researchers are also moving away from the use of that term because one, we found that it almost is ending the conversation before it starts, right? Like as much as we like talk about stoicism, it's something that is like triggering for a lot of men who identify with these characteristics and really define themselves with like that provider protector role. And right, like not everything is always toxic. Like sometimes it's good to be assertive. Sometimes it's good to be a provider. Sometimes it's good to be a protector. So sometimes that limits the nuance that I think more so traditional masculinity captures. And also there's like no defined scale for toxic masculinity, whereas we do have defined scales uh, for research for like traditional masculinity and hyper-masculinity. I always love listening to you talk. I'm, I'm, learning, such, I'm learning such great things. This is great. Like I'm learning so much. Thank I you. I've this. literally heard her give this exact talk like five times and I'm like, I love it so much. <laughs> I could listen to it forever. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the hype. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because I feel like uh, when people do discuss toxic masculinity, I feel like often there is a very wide range of, of things they're mm. talking about. Right. The very from uh, what I think w- definitely qualifies as, you know, traditional masculinity of like men who are believe that stoic is a thing they're supposed to be because they're supposed mm-hmm. to provide and they're not supposed to complain about it. And if they are expressing feelings about, you know, what it takes mm-hmm. to do this stuff, then it is somehow complaining about the one thing that they're supposed to be able to do well. Right. As compared to say like the toxic masculinity of like, oh, I played football all through middle school and high school. And, you know, just the, uh, <laughs> the, the constantly, uh, you know, calling people uh, pussies and whatever else because mm-hmm. they have to do things like, oh, I don't know, go to an honors club or a band practice or something <laughs> Jeremy, like that. Jeremy, are, are you I, okay? <laughs> I, would, I was going to say, as someone who lives across from a frat house, uh, I frequently hear the word pussy yelled. <laughs> Just on a daily basis. My favorite time was when they got very drunk and argued politics loud enough that I could listen in and discovered that one of them had come out as a liberal. And um, I heard them scream at him, you are a pussy face. But I feel like that like captures, uh, because that element, right? Like the degradation of your peers is like that That totally captures hegemonic masculinity, which I'll mm-hmm. try to give a brief synopsis of. So this comes from Antonio Gramsci when he was in prison and he was attempting to like describe social hierarchies uh, at the time. But we apply it to masculinity because it is like, you have like, let's say traditional masculinity at the peak of the pyramid. So like, these are all the attributes like we ideally tell men that they should be and like what they should look like. Very few people like actually meet that ideal to a T. And then you have like subordinated masculinities. Um, I, look, it's, it's really hard to be as mysterious as the dark side of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, so then you have like everybody else fall below, right? And so it's this effort to subordinate your peers right like it's striving to be like the dominant one like the alpha for lack of a better term because i hate that but it is like the like use of pussy right and like Mm -hmm. pussy implies woman right like womanhood which is like what could be weaker right like what could be lesser (laughs) right Uh, so healthy (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like that joking, but like not really joking, especially yeah. I feel like frat environments so filled with this. This is also like a classic military thing, like yeah, calling each other pussy. But we're yeah, so we're talking about the scene with Wade, which let's just talk about how Wade is wonderful and he mm-hmm. like immediately apologizes because he realized something was wrong but didn't know how to say anything. Yeah. And then he hugs him and I was like mm-hmm. Wade is a sweetie. Yes. He is so good. See, I wonder, because I was thinking about this as far as, like, we're thinking about masculinity, right? Like, I feel like if Wade on his own would have brought this up. It it was 100% he couldn't bring it up with Hank. At least that's Mm -hmm. how I read that scene. Wade. Wade is such a rude mechanical. Because he also, he just knows lore from the Indians. He And he corrects himself. Like, he's been working on it. And you know that was his wife. That was like, you cannot call them that anymore. You have to call them Native American. Yes. That leads to him suggesting that uh, Hank put the, the deer head back up in this house. Valentine. Valentine. <laughs> the true Chekhov's gun of the movie. <laughs> Valid. What a name for the deer that you've hung on your wall. Yeah. Carly, are you okay? <laughs> I just don't understand. But Yeah, so like, where did, do we have any research on masculinity and naming things you kill? Yeah, I feel like but there should be. It seems I'm pretty true. sure that thing was already named Valentine. I'm going to anthropomorphize it, but only after I've seen the life <laughs> And they describe it, they're, they're, when they're describing its size, they describe it as an airplane with a dick. And then mm-hmm. he sets up the bear trap. And there is a there is a flashback to uh, the birthday him and Abby party. and Hank refusing to sing. Oh yeah, th- that flashback. Oh, which ends up being important because he the music uh, full stops too, which I love. Where she's like singing along and she holds it out to him, and even the music in the background stops because he refuses to sing. There's certainly something about like Hank's masculinity here as well. Oh, yeah. like he doesn't sing, he doesn't dance. He's not you know yeah. not that kind of guy. And she goes, you would have done it for Julie. (laughs) I love her so much. Yes. She's so good at those those sort of like jabs to the ribs, you know? Yeah, she really is. He's refusing saying we we are interrupted again by uh, the bear trap going off and getting ripped away. The thing somehow escapes the bear trap, which if it were a bear... uh, Would not be possible because that requires significant strength and opposable thumbs. Um, <laughs> or chewing off its leg, which he specifically was like, it did not do. Yeah, so whatever this thing is, it managed to reset a bear trap, which uh, means it is definitely not a bear. So this is where he goes over to Shane's house and is like, I'll set up a fucking bear trap. And it, it got out of the bear <laughs> trap. It's clearly not a bear, Shane. And fucking he, checkmate, like, Shane. Bacon. Check he, mate he throws it face. on the lawn and Shane is just like, my grass. <laughs> This is why I think like the class stuff comes in a little bit because they're not, they can't be very different wealth wise, Mm -hmm. but they're just different enough that Shane seems to be kind of holding it over him. Like he's got his quote life together. He has a nicer house. He has a lawn. This is probably my least favorite scene in this movie, which is Mm -hmm. Shane mansplaining (laughs) to another man. Can be done. This whole like every town has one crazy bastard who's seen you know the lake monster or aliens or whatever this scene more than anything made me hate shane (laughs) this scene effectively like any lingering sympathy i didn't have for hank like grew in this moment where i was like you're yeah i get it (laughs) like you're (laughs) suffering this guy is horrible (laughs) i'm sorry that he's one of the five people you know 
<laughs> yeah, but he does that thing, that thing, that mansplaining thing of what's the problem? Hank, do you know what the problem is? And Hank's sitting there like, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game with you. Are you guys familiar with like the masculinity bacon thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, what? Okay. Like, need I, I think that makes sense. But to be fair, I was just distracted by, man, I really want bacon now. <laughs> Fuck. I could, I could go. Look, I know he's a mansplaining prank, but I could go for some bacon. <laughs> All I could think, so like one thing you can gift your um, partner is bacon roses. Like if they're a real man, they like, you've not seen this? No, okay. So this is like the Ron Swanson thing, right? Like the masculinity equals bacon. Yes. And like meat and like, like the fact that Shane was making a whole breakfast of bacon. Like, (laughs) right. Can I be more non-binary? And that my reaction (laughs) that was like, can I have a bouquet that's half regular roses and half bacon roses? (laughs) I've I've never felt more validly (laughs) non-binary. I don't even know what to do with that, Ben. <laughs> I don't. I know we're on episode five. I don't know if I've mentioned it yet. My pronouns are they, them. So there you go if you're a listener. Uh, I am sending you guys a link to a thing in the uh, group chat here um, that is Is it bacon? Relevant. Is it bacon? Yes. <laughs> this Amazing. is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not bacon. <laughs> it's Boston Market. Uh, oh, they created the the rib bouquet, which uh, oh, is something that you can give so to your much. man on Valentine's Day, which is it's a bouquet a bae, of, of bae, baby back ribs. Bae. But bay, it's spelled B A E. Yes, which somehow is way worse. Yeah, it. they've they've taken apart a, a rack of ribs and bundled them together in a like a piece of paper, and they're like, here, a bouquet. Oh. Look how happy he is. <laughs> Look how happy. He looks so fulfilled. He has I, I like to believe he has, what he's saying is, what the fuck? Where are we in this movie? Yeah. Uh, so we're we're at a we're at the flashback. That's how I felt watching the movie. <laughs> we're at the flashback where we finally meet the rest of oh, the friend group. The uh, who birthday. Will only appear one more time in this. Um, this movie defeated time. Yeah, it's it's uh, another previous birthday at some point. We, we do meet Wade's wife. Jane Jade? No, Jane Jade is the bartender. She, Jane, oh, that's Wade's right. What is, is his Jess. wife's name? Jess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our, our one character of color in this story. The scene is here specifically because she cannot drink the peanut wine because she is yes. pregnant. And it is a immediate source of Oof. friction between, or unspoken well, because, friction between Abby and Hank. Which mm-hmm. it didn't have to be. But she mm-hmm. breaks the one rule, which is you don't ask childless people when they're going to have kids. Well, it's also crazy that they've had to have been together for at least eight years at this mm-hmm. point, and they apparently have not talked about their plans yep. for having kids. That is crazy. It's crazy, but it's like very much something that happens. See, that I is also crazy. <laughs> I feel like though this this is where I end up being in the camp. I had like three different theories as to like what happened there because right okay. like. The same thing we end up at the end, which is that she did tell Hank about where she was potentially going, right? He just didn't answer or didn't want to go with yeah. her. Yeah. And so I'm like, he's either choosing to ignore her reaction to this and like right. where she's at. He's concerned about moving <clears throat> forward, maybe because of like some insecurity with like their financial situation or also like concerns about maybe like commitment and moving forward and what that means. Or he truly didn't notice, which like I'm kind of in the camp of he's like selectively 
deeply paying attention. Are, are I, saying... I do have to admit, I, as someone who is unmarried and childless in a long-term relationship, I may have felt personally judged by this. <laughs> no. what, what, I, what I feel like you're saying, though, is uh, that he only hears what he wants to, uh, that he doesn't yeah, look hard, he doesn't pay attention. Say. That's what I was going to say. And he, he specifically does apologize for that because he says, I don't, uh, we'll get to that later, but he says, I didn't notice the things that made you happy or maybe I didn't want to notice. Yes. So. Yeah, so yes. I think you're quite right. I think, but also I think she she changed on this. We'll get that more in her scene too, where she originally was like, "Oh, people wanting family and like marriage—that's small town bullshit." And then she realized mm-hmm. as she grew up that like this was something she wanted mm-hmm. because she learned more about herself, and like he wasn't changing with her, which yeah, I think it, is like so critical in relationships, right? Like, yeah. you're like agreeing that you will change I th- at least personally right like you're agreeing that you're you're not going to be the same person that you started in this relationship with what i think is going on in this scene which becomes i think clearer from that other scene is that there is initially this understanding in their relationship that they probably won't have kids because they're going to be going out and doing other stuff but then they don't do any of that other stuff and yeah. he's still like no we're not having kids and she's like well, why <laughs> like mm-hmm. right yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I, I will say her acting in this scene. So I'm a full like Bria Grant stan as, as I've kind of revealed. Well, where are we? Day. Have we gotten to her actually coming back yet? Not yet. No. So this is the still oh, okay. the birthday party flashback. Okay, right. But in this scene, she is she is smiling and trying to be happy for her friend, but there's tears in her eyes that she's like trying really hard not to let show at yep. her birthday. And I was just like, oh, girl. And it's that That's thing. That's real. Right. And it's that thing too, where she is happy for her friend, but she's also jealous. And that I think that's a really interesting. So we talked a lot about masculinity in this movie is it's mainly about that, but that is an interesting thing in like traditional female friendships, mm-hmm. right? Where that like societal pressure, especially around things like kids and marriage mm-hmm. and the jealousy that comes when you're not, when you've either chosen or because of whatever life circumstances, you're not that norm and you're looking at people that are like, there's, there's a lot happening there. And this is, I think not coincidentally where the movie really starts shifting into a higher gear. Uh, because once we switch back from this conversation in the flashback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hank is closing down the bar with Jane or Jade. He's out late at a time that he wouldn't normally be out because he's you know at the bar he comes home to discover that his door is wide open the couch has been thrown out of the way and uh, he creeps in and grabs his shotgun off the table and starts investigating the house meanwhile as soon as he like gets out of the main hallway whatever it is runs back through the main hallway and out the door and uh, he decides to chase it this time um he makes a lot of the like traditional like horror movie mistakes but in this oh yeah it feels different though because he just does not give a fuck he's like it can kill me like i definitely love to it no don't go in the ransacked house with the monster inside (laughs) but he was so over it at that point like like, he's pissed off he's drunk everything in his life sucks He's yeah. just like, no, I am gonna prove that this thing is real one way or another. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna settle this right now. Yeah, which feels I feel really like, real to me. Exactly. I feel like usually it's not well explained why they're making bad choices, or it's cabin in the woods and it's just dumbass gas. But, um, <laughs> but in this God one, it's bless like dumbass gas. But in this one, it's genuinely like. Oh, yeah, of course he would. Of course he ran after it. Of course he's mm-hmm. trying to catch it. That's what he would do. This is the one scene where they, like, it goes full horror movie. 
down to yeah. having like a visual like device that they're using, which is he gets out into right. the woods and because he is in middle of nowhere, Georgia or Florida, the only way he can see anything <laughs> is to shoot his shotgun. And he just yes. sees like a sudden flash every oh, time he shoots it. That is legitimately really scary. It is. Yeah, it is. It's such a great way for what happens here, which is the monster reveal. He shoots yes. the gun and he hears the cat in there oh. and he's, he's calling to the cat and then there's a noise that's definitely not the cat and he shoots uh-huh. the gun and discovers the this this huge spiky gray creature that you just barely see eating his cat and, what did you uh, think of this monster so this is our like real chance to see it for the first time what oh i loved it mm-hmm. oh i think it's a i think it's a fantastic design and it looks great it looks amazing i loved it so much yeah i love practical effects monsters yeah like there's so many shitty cgi monsters out there and there are some good ones out there too but like was there this is a big rubber costume (laughs) was there any cgi in this movie at any point no i don't think think there was yeah he then takes another shot and at the creature and the creature is gone and all that's left is the dead cat the cat dying is the last straw for hank too because he he just goes back to his house gives up on chasing this monster and like Finally goes and sleeps in his bed for the first well, time in the first, movie. He sits down on the couch and the couch breaks and he looks betrayed. Oh, He's like, how that, dare you? I felt that so hard. Yeah, because he, he has to flip break. it over and put like, the cushions back. Yeah. And like put the whole thing back together. And then, yeah, he sits on it and the thing Just breaks. that final defeat <laughs> that's so small but crushes you so completely. <laughs> right, yes. We then get, I guess, our one uh, little bit of, of romantic flashback to the vineyard. Um, oh, yeah. They're running around and being in love and uh, all that. Just before, uh, we we get to really see Abby for the first time, present yes. time. And she peeks <laughs> in through in, the hole. Just, just <laughs> straight up gone. We're just straight up gone girl in it. Yeah. I mean, really? Like, this? I definitely gasped the first time. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's alive. It was just so low key. It was just so nonchalant the way she returned. I know, and it was perfect. I mean, she she peeks in the the hole in the door, and you know it's blocked by a couch. So she just goes around and comes in the back door. It's apparently, not an option for the monster. I guess the monster is not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess whatever wherever this monster comes from, they don't have back doors. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ben. <laughs> Okay. I know where your mind went and it, I was there with you. <laughs> I know it was. <laughs> Music returns to this with Abby as well. Um, yes. And it, the song that starts playing is like, stay here for a while. Music is meaningful in this movie. Oh, music choices were very deliberate. Yeah. And she, she immediately starts cleaning up all of his bullshit that's all over the place too. And she's so over it. She's just like, Ugh. she made eye contact with that deer and was like, no. <laughs> She also said this for like a month. It took, I was gone for a month and you were yeah. all, and you're already pulling this shit. She yeah. looks so disappointed this whole scene. She's just like, oh no. And then Hank walks down into the middle of this scene to find her cleaning up and just sort of stares at her. Now, the scenes. <laughs> it be starting. I did love Abby right out of the gate. Yes. Disappearing for a month, returning, and is straight up like, so what are we playing in my party? <laughs> right. And, and oh gosh. And he's like trying to tell her, he's like, my life's been falling apart. And she just goes, so just fucking kill it then. That's what you do. 
<laughs> it's like, it's my birthday and we are not missing my party. We're going to kill this monster tonight. Hank, we got all these guns for him. <laughs> Hank just implicitly knowing that the monster is somehow tied to his emotional state and Abby right? is such horror movie self-awareness. It's and so I good. love it so hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is uh, when we get to that scene where the, she's like, okay, so we'll stay up and wait for it. And that's our like long shot that we were talking about before where it's them framed in the doorway and they're sitting in the chairs and she's turned to face him to try to talk to him. He's turned fully away, cuddling his gun and a beer bottle. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is the he's some kind of shapeshifter, Abby. Yes. <laughs> Again, like just like it would have been so easy to be like, no, it'll show up, and she's like, you're full of it, like you're you're delusional, and so, <laughs> instead he's just sort of like, look, it's clearly tied to how fucked in the head I am. It <laughs> came when you left, and now you're back, so I don't know. How, look, I don't know how the rules work. <laughs> he's like, it might be gone. I'm, I'm clearly in a horror movie, and I have not figured out the rules. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest stress of all time. That's generally how I feel about going to Florida anyway. <laughs> I don't know. This is the scene, I think, too, where we get so much of Abby just explaining mm-hmm. what's going on with her. And it's so powerful. This is the first time I cried in the movie, for the record. Mm. Hank is convinced that she has gone off to go see her boyfriend, her mm-hmm. ex-boyfriend in Miami, which she she admits that she has gone to Miami, but... She has gone to the class reunion that she told him about and he said he didn't want to come because he would have to put on some kind of tie and look up people's noses the whole time. Um, he, I love how he's like, because they're snobs. And she's like, yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah this, this was the part where like the movie that it especially reminded me of was uh, honestly kind of 500 Days of Summer. That's okay. So Ben, my notes say this is horror movie 500 Days of Summer. Fucking uh, hell. But truly, this is 500 Days of Summer. You are right. I mean, it really is that same sense of like, oh, we're seeing an idealized, we're seeing an idealized Mm -hmm. version of a relationship that always had cracks beneath the surface. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and he's, you know, he saw her as kind of the fun girl uh thing if we're gonna we're gonna bring up gone girl Mm -hmm. she was the cool girl right like she was down for everything but she had all this complexity he was just ignoring it Mm -hmm. what i thought was interesting though was like she seemed to miss him seeing her as the cool girl yes that's that's true is he he hadn't looked at her that way anymore apparently and she oh she has some like really like gut stabbing lines in this scene where you know she's like if you're looking for some other dumb doe to chase just tell me and get it over with that was that was a testing line but i'm like i didn't fully buy that with Mm-mm. what Hank, the hank we've seen the only version of hank we've seen is someone who was in a 10-year monogamous relationship right mm-hmm. uh, yeah i don't i think she's wrong about that but i think that she's wrong about some of the things and i mean, right about some of them but i think that's why she works is because she isn't yeah. like perfect and he's bad I mean, he right? says later in the movie like that's the one thing she's wrong about is that yeah. she is enough for him and she always mm-hmm. has been enough for him Right. And this is the scene too, Carly, that you mentioned where he's like, I thought I was losing my mind and my best friend. Mm. I'm like, oh. uh, Wade would have something to say about this, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like there was this quote from the book that I told you about, which is for the love of men. Specifically, they have this like whole chapter on bromances slash like male friendship, because this is like a common thing that couples I feel like are going to therapy for, which is like, as you're later in life, or like, let's say after 10 years with a person, you're like, this is 
men are like, this is my best friend. They're my everything. And they like are dwindling in male friendships or just friendships in general. And it's like, Abby was his everything. Right. And so the whole, the quote that I like love is make your partner, your favorite friend, not your best friend. And that you need to be tending to your other relationships. Um, And this actually works twofold because you have these other relationships but it's also removing pressure from the romantic relationship to fulfill your every need. And I think like Abby comments on that. I think so too. One of my favorite is a weird word to use in this way, but one of my favorite stats on this idea is that um, men in a long-term relationship with women have better mental health, mm-hmm. but women in a long-term relationship with a man have worse. And part of why that is, is because of this, because you know, all the emotional labor is put on her. And when you have those friendships, it like reduces that problem. Yeah, You're I, like I, actually I, preaching right now. <laughs> As I'm like, I love my partner, but yes as we're getting into this like approaching finals week i'm like my mental health and your mental health are in totally different worlds right now yeah (laughs) yeah i think it's worth mentioning sort of the the facts of this that we that we learned through this scene which is that abby went away to college and hank didn't and then abby came back for like a little while to visit her parents without the intention of staying in this small town where she's from you know, going back to Miami or going out to see the world, fell in love with Hank, who went out of his way to pursue her and I guess drag her to this uh, scary house in the woods. And <laughs> yeah, you know, was was convinced by this relationship, not went out of his way to drag home. her to the spooky house is usually the plot <laughs> of a horror movie all on its own. Yeah, this is so she says the other line that was like a gut punch was that I'm thinking about all the things I gave up just for a spot on your wall. Yes. That was a great line. There's definitely elements of this movie where I'm like, oh, I wish that had been set up better. But that line, especially with Valentine, I'm like, God, that is a devastating line. It is. She also points out that Hank got everything that he, he wanted along with this relationship. He's got the relationship and he's got his, you know, old house. He's got his friends. He's got his hunting buddies. He's got his hunting, you know, and, and she has, she has given up all of these things that she wanted and that, you know, she doesn't even have the, the family part to show for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, yep. she's, she asks him if, you know, if they had gone and lived in, you know, one story walk up in Miami and he hadn't had any of these things that he values, you know, would she have been enough for him? Yeah, this scene was devastating. I, I love how real it feels. Like, mm-hmm. like we've this, known these couples, right? <laughs> this scene is devastating, but it also sets up for how heartwarming the later yes. scenes are. I agree. The one other line from there is the, uh, sometimes it feels like we've lived our whole lives in this room. Yes, which is so powerful considering we've lived most of this movie in this room. I mean, yeah. that's the line where, that's especially the line where I'm like, oh yeah, this could definitely be a play. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, quarantine 2020 feels. <laughs> Finally, she says, "Yeah, I don't think your monster's coming, Hank." And uh, she goes takes on upstairs. Takes the bottle of wine. Takes the bottle of wine. Leaves. So then, our next day is the birthday party, right? Well, we do get the the setup for the flashback of them playing the yes. tape, but we never actually get to hear what the tape is. We right. just learn that this tape only has one song on it, and then he's Which... recorded the song over and over and over for Julie. I... I love this conversation too, where he's like, you know how you do that thing? And she's like, no, I don't. What are you talking about? Cause it's such a relatable conversation where you think like this thing is normal. Everyone does this, right? And the other person's like, no. 
<laughs> also so very specific to the medium of cassette tapes because yeah. <laughs> i don't even know that that's a thing that you could do with the cd you just sit it on I there just, and you just play it i have over a spotify over. playlist and i just copied the song 12 times <laughs> <laughs> um so yes now we are at present and we are at the current day birthday party we've been through so many of them um yeah, yeah. this is the the current they've been together 10 years um from, you know, the beginning of this movie. Literally 10 years have passed since the first scene of this yes. movie. Um, and they're singing terrible karaoke. And of fucking course, Shane sings House of and, the Rising yeah. Sun. And somehow, <laughs> 10 years, 30 seconds, an hour and a half, and no time at all has passed. Because what even is time in this movie? <laughs> this movie has broken time. Also, though, frankly... Sheen is the only one who sings a song of which there would be a ready karaoke version available <laughs> between him, Wade, and Abby. It's I, true, but I, also awful, and I can't... <laughs> I did really enjoy the realistic badness of yes. Shane and Wade. I did, too. They're like, all kind of terrible, to be fair. Yes. This is the time to stop and ask, what is everybody's uh, go-to karaoke song? Okay, so I really do have an answer, because one of the last things I did before the world ended this year <laughs> was go to karaoke. Oh. And, and it is quite ridiculously, but I have you know, I had that whole bar on my side for singing this. It's Kelly Clarkson's My Life Would Suck Without You, which is such a great <laughs> one because people then sing the hey, hey part at you. Kelly uh, Clarkson is risky, but they're, I, I, they're almost all me, Jeremy, good karaoke songs. I have a good voice, so there. I wouldn't know. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, my go-to uh, is Backstreet Boys, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not one at that away. I go with Backstreet's Back. Ooh. <laughs> A bold choice. Carly, do you have a go-to karaoke yes. song? Yeah, mine's TLC No Scrubs. Ooh, Ooh that's, a, yeah. that's a karaoke classic. That's a karaoke yeah. legend. It's the best. Oh, that's so I good. Love, that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> I love a song with a dictionary definition in it. <laughs> We've got to we define our terms. He's also I'm known really as just, a Boston. I have, I have two karaoke standbys coming from opposite sides of, uh, of things depending on the, the mood and the, the crowd, and usually try to get them both in. Uh, I adore uh, singing Creep. Creep is a good one. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Because if you really commit to the, uh, the runs at the end, it's um, <laughs> everybody will be on your side. Um, <laughs> the other one, which uh, I just have sort of the voice and accent for, is uh, Friends in Low Places. Ooh, I love yeah. it. Which is, uh, I would argue, one of the best karaoke songs because it as it is an open invitation for people to sing the chorus along with you. Mm, it's true. Tying this back to this, <laughs> this scene, uh, they have no access to other types of food here, but they do apparently have access to indie rock music um, <laughs> because Wade sings Anthem of the Already Defeated by Rock Plaza Central, which I was like, no way that's He's... on the karaoke tape. And, <laughs> he is adorable. <laughs> and Abby sings Time of the Dragonflies by The Parlor. Uh, which, which is like, about getting lost in the city. And I was like, Abby, too soon. Yeah, so, and then we uh, we get to, they, they go to the table and we get to uh, try some of Abby's wine. It is uh, oxidized. I, I don't understand how she just was able to do this, but okay. <laughs> that's a whole other profession. That's a whole other dream Where passion she, career. When did she, that happen? <laughs> yeah, what, when did she do this? I'm so confused. <laughs> This is I guess she movie. had it fermenting before she left, and she's like, "I guess so." 
right? You know, and that, that's why it's <laughs> oxidized and nobody noticed. And so now she has brown wine, Pinot Brun, <laughs> yeah. she says. This is also, I think Wade makes the joke about Jonestown when he gets ready to take a sip. And I was I love a movie that references a cult. And then he goes, we didn't even do outreach first. It was good. So now we get to the part where I have just labeled it, Shane ruins everything. Yeah, we get to Shane. It's, a, it's such a pleasant party. It's such a pleasant party until Shane's just like, what if I just went and ruined it? Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, so you've been crazy lately. <laughs> Whoa. And here's, here's my deal with that. Here's my pet tangent. Uh, Shane asks <laughs> if anybody at the table has seen a UFO, to which two people raise their hand. And then Shane proves that he does not know the definition of what a UFO is. He's like, well, why would you think it's a, a flying saucer from an alien when it could be a weather balloon or this, that, or the other? It's like, it's an unidentified flying object. Yeah. That's what you asked for. They saw it. It was flying. They didn't know what it was. Yes. I also want the spinoff movie of those two like, <laughs> dealing with aliens. I love this friend here that we never see and who gets no other details, but she's like, yes, I have seen an alien and no, Shane, I know your bullshit. No, I'm not going to let you explain it away. It was aliens. Yes. Her name is Pam, by the way. Okay, I loved Pam. That's the credits. Thank you At for watching the credits. At first, because it was sense of like, just because of Abby's like, oh, everyone knows a couple of nice kids. I thought like, oh, this must be Shane's wife. Nope. But no, then, they made but it I'm clear like, she and I'm was like, not. Good for you, Pam. I'm like, good for you, Pam. Hell yeah. <laughs> Fucking, you can do so much better. I know, I know. <laughs> everyone, everyone I know is married and has kids, except for my bachelor cop brother. <laughs> Who sucks so much. Who sucks. And we get a lot of, of Hank staring for a moment in playing with this, his drink before giving uh, an incredible speech. So this scene with Shane talking, like some, the, the secondhand like embarrassment of imagining being at that party made me like curl up and die yes. for a second. I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Shane being such a dick right before Hank yeah. has this moment makes that moment so much more resonant. Like, yes. he's like, you know what? You're right, asshole. You're yes. right that I've, that I've been acting weird and I've screwed up and uh, mm-hmm. that I've, you know, treated Abby poorly. And, uh, you know, I shouldn't have kept her locked up here. You know, I think he says, like, the thing I loved about her was that she couldn't be locked up and then I went and did it anyway. Great yeah. line. Yes. I, lo- I loved that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And he, he cops to have being, having been jealous and shitty and selfish. He says, uh, I never gave enough thought to the things that made you happy because I, it made me feel small or stupid, some selfish shit. Mm-hmm. I, that line is so good. That yeah. is good. It's a great speech. And this is the, you're, you are enough for me, Abby. That's the one thing mm-hmm. you were wrong about. That's when that comes up. I do. Yeah, I was definitely, while this was going on and while I was very emotionally affected by it, I did have this niggling thought in the back of my head of like, <laughs> didn't we have something else going on in this movie? <laughs> I was, okay, so I, I was so wrapped up in the scene, I fully forgot about the monster, which made this next part so I much- <laughs> love this scene. I love that he then leaves the room, yes. brings into the karaoke machine, and yes. sings the entirety, not one yes. verse. Not a little bit of every single word from memory of Lisa Loeb's stay 
parentheses, I missed you. Yes. Directly looking <laughs> into her beautiful. eyes. It's oh. a beautiful cover. I would like to find it on Spotify. It is absolutely it, gorgeous. She she gives like meaningful nods and mouths like okay to him when he says stay, which is like Yes! This. And she's like tearing up. His friends, meanwhile, the good ones, not Shane, are like singing along and they're like, yes. They're swaying. Shane is just pouting. Yeah, Shane, Shane is, is just like, a I've pouty motherfucker. He was not <laughs> expecting an apology. It deflated him fully. That's how you know a real asshole is when like an apology is the worst thing you can give them. <laughs> he wanted a fight. You're like, you know what? I was wrong. And they're like, fuck. Well, I did, well, I did like that he was like, look, I was wrong. I've treated you so poorly, but there's a fucking monster out there. Yeah. <laughs> but first, Lisa Loeb. <laughs> yeah. And literally. And then what happens? As soon as he finishes Ooh. the last line of this song, and they have Ooh. a meaningful second, the monster <laughs> jumps from off screen and tackles <laughs> him and starts chewing on him in the middle of the did anyone Did anyone else think it was just going to smash cut to credits? Yes. Monster <laughs> tackles and he goes down, cuts a black credits roll. I'm so glad it didn't. I was so, I'm so glad, glad it didn't, didn't happen. Like, me too. But like, okay, this was like the one last time where I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. Nope, not even a little bit. Wrong <laughs> yeah. again, motherfucker. I, the sad thing was re-watching it. I knew the monster, monster tackled him at some point while he was singing, but I could not remember when. So I still jumped the second time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, it's such a wonderful, like, moment of you getting wrapped up in this like right. warm moment that he's that these two people are having and then him immediately getting jumped by this it's you know so, this, it's perfect person oh it's such suit. a good moment oh my god and it really yeah. is and it's again like it was a regular thought in my mind it's so easy to have just completely forgotten about it i definitely did <laughs> Yeah, everybody screams and gets up from the table. Uh, yeah. Nobody is any use. Shane is looking for the gun, but can't find okay. the gun. This, um, this is great, though. The things that everybody grabs are their character traits. Like, they're in Clue. It's very <laughs> funny. So Shane's useless. Like, he goes to find a gun. Wade has the axe again. Um, Abby grabs a bottle of wine. <laughs> so now Abby gets the bottle of wine later in this scene. Yeah, she's um, holding it in the doorway when she's looking in. So she... Well, she is wielding it as a weapon at some point. Yeah, what what happens is have our the big creature runs out of the room. Later. When, when yes. they all get up, the creature runs out of the room and Hank chases it out. <laughs> like, they're all <laughs> gathered around Hank trying to make sure he's okay. And he's like, fuck <laughs> this, I'm getting rid of that thing. And like runs so into good. the parlor where this thing is. And everybody else arrives to find him wrestling this creature. He then rips the antlers off of Valentine yes! on the wall. But he takes proceeds... a moment. He pauses. He looks in the <laughs> eyes of the deer and then is like, okay, I must. Yeah. I thought yeah. he was like thanking him. <laughs> like, Thank you, Valentine, for giving me the tool, for giving me the means to slay my relationship, my fears of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> as as he's wrestling this thing they knock the bottle over from somewhere and it rolls to abby's yes feet, um and yes. she picks it up um 
This is also the scene where everyone's looking shocked and horrified, but Wade is just aggressively <laughs> nodding. Like, you it's get that? Great. Like, I feel like everyone doesn't know if they should be, like, hor- like worried about, like, <laughs> Hank, relieved that he's okay, horrified at the violence he's committing. And then Wade is so just fucking, times. like, Wade is full-on fucking, like, Rob Schneider and Little Nicky, like, you can do it! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hundred percent. You need a friend like Wade in your life that's just gonna mm-hmm. be like, "What are we doing? Are we singing? I'm on board with that." Oh, we're slaying monsters. I'm on board with that. I feel <laughs> like, like yeah, if I, yeah, like... buddy. You stab them good. You get them with them antlers. Yeah, Shane was like, "The monster doesn't exist." Abby doesn't think the monster exists, but hasn't seen like any kind of proof of any of this. Uh, I don't think Wade ever doubted that there was a monster. No, Wade was there, was there a for it, one hundred percent. And he had thirty possible reasons why it existed. Wade is the horror movie boyfriend you need. He is. He's the anti-chip. <laughs> like, Wade well, is. I don't oh know. My God. I don't know what to do about it, but I got some ideas of how I might have got there. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like I feel like he's like the Florida version of like Dale from King of the Hill. Because I feel like if Dale is like the best friend you could ever have in a horror movie. <laughs> yes, it's true. I feel like now, now we have a new standard. We've been looking for chips this whole time, but now everyone's gonna have to measure up to Wade. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, this is what. So I, I'd be interested to get uh, y'all's perspective on this because he is, he is repeatedly stabbing this thing even though it's clearly dead at this point and finally Uh like abby calls his name and he 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 turns around and his first the first thing he does is check if abby is okay even Um. though like he has been fighting this thing he's like are you are you okay baby is it all right (laughs) i was in full-on like Jesse Eisenberg, Zombieland, Rule 2, like, always be 100% certain before <laughs> you lower your guard. Uh, yeah, but he really killed it. It was very dead. <laughs> overkill, yes. no, no kill, like, sometimes overkill is the only kill. <laughs> and Yes, and then she walks over to him holding the wine, and he says the last line of the movie, which is, you want to drink another uh, case of this shit with me? <laughs> And there's the engagement ring and my heart melted. I know. Mm-hmm. It's so good. That's a perfect proposal for them. <laughs> well coated in monster blood. Yeah. Okay, that was probably an unexpected quibble, but you know, <laughs> you roll with the punches. Yeah. So Ten I'm... years from now, somebody's like, how did you get engaged? And they're like, oh. So, like, all right, you see that feather thing on hanging on our wall? Right. Fucking that shit. That's how. Ask him how we got engaged. Yeah, that's what I fucking thought. Because you know, wherever they move in the city, that thing's ended. That thing's ending up on a wall. That's Valentine too over there. Yeah. I mean, so- do we get any explanation? for what this creature no. is other than okay. just weird creature fucking Florida. And we get like five of them, but <laughs> right. it's, it's, well, that's it's the, the Joker of this movie. That's because the monster is the patriarchy. And when they said smash the patriarchy, sometimes you have to smash it with antlers repeatedly. Like there's like the Babadook, which like 
<laughs> you know, technically the Babadook has no concrete explanation, but it's also is her is the main character's grief. It is grief right. in monster form. Yeah, but I, I think this has about the same amount of explanation, right? Like this is the moment when he drops his guard and is able to actually let her in and be vulnerable and get past the hang-ups of his traditional masculinity, but singing, doing the things that were not manly enough for him before, is the moment when he gets to triumph over this monster. I like that. Right? I like mm-hmm. that. I also do like how steadfast his refusal to sing was in the flashback versus fucking yeah. three and a half minutes of Lisa Lowe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that was his, that was his vulnerability. Like, that, yeah. I love that so much. That was the moment well. where I was like, this movie is the best. Like, mm. This whole last yeah. bit is just yeah. wonderful. I really feel like this movie, I spent so much of this movie desperately trying to grasp the pieces. Mm-hmm. And then once the movie finally gave me the pieces, I was so satisfied with the whole. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that I think the reason that I didn't have that same thing was I just had like five minutes in, I was like, you know what? I'm just going with it. And I don't know if that was like the mood state I was in the first time I watched it, but it was just like, I'm going to go for the ride. And I think that's the right way to approach this is I do think if you're trying to puzzle it out, it's frustrating until the end. But if you're just like, whatever, linear time, that doesn't exist. Let's go for it. (laughs) That's uh, that's the end of the film. We roll credits after the the bottle is, is handed over. So I, I guess it's time for us to then uh, jump to figuring out uh, where we land on our questions here. I think the obvious one that we're not going to have a lot to talk about here is how does this uh, movie deal with LGBT issues? Uh, Pam is a lesbian. I, had, <laughs> I decided this <laughs> on rewatch so that we'd have one person to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and My I, evidence- I, I, my evidence for that? No, none. <laughs> I'm declaring it. I'm declaring it canon. <laughs> Shane you. is the only available man in town, so just, like, well, she's like Shane no. identifies as the prick. <laughs> <laughs> Shane is the kind of person that describes himself as an alpha male. Yes, I think uh... if Shane could ever get over his own bullshit, he would be a great husband to another man of equal mm-hmm. prettiness. <laughs> Yes, it's true. <laughs> like, he needs to be with an equally douchey husband at a country club. Yes. Oh my gosh, the mm. way that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's queer rep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all the queer rep in this movie. Sure. This movie is very straight, but very mature and emotionally intelligent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I don't... I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made for a sort of like tearing down of a traditional yeah. straight relationship to, you know, queering a relationship to yeah. talk about I think so. those elements. But it's, yeah. it's definitely about a straight relationship breaking down traditional gender roles, I mm-hmm. think, a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly breaking under the uh, stress of keeping those traditional gender roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the, uh, the other question there's not much to say about is uh, the people of, of color and uh, people of other races in this movie. So we have Jess played by Ashley Song, who is, uh, we mentioned is, uh, is in <laughs> Who is a scenes. character in yeah. this movie who has a line? Does exist. She is, she is Wade's wife. <laughs> 
and that's a that is a hundred percent all we get yeah i think we actually get more secondhand description of her through wade than we get her in this movie i do feel like we see that she's even if it's off screen and indirect we do see that she's actively making wade a better person yeah i think so too yeah i don't know what it says that the one black woman's role is to make a white man more palatable (laughs) yikes Yeah, I, I do think it does do a good job in not stereotyping its one black character in the yeah, whole time so she's too. on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> having talked extensively about Babysitter recently, <laughs> which does exactly that with its one black character. The real meaty questions here, first of all, uh, was this movie feminist? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this movie is incredibly feminist. It, you know, in that, we've talked about this with past movies too, that that feminism is not just about um, exploring women and it's about deconstructing masculinity in ways that make it healthier. I think you put it perfectly, Chris, though. When it, I think a second watch through, you would notice a lot more of these themes stand out in terms of it being a feminist film because like maybe watching, you're not really sure what's happening. But then after that kind of conversation between progression at the end, you're seeing like the relationship flourish when they break down kind of the heteronormative roles of their relationship. So again, I think like that second watch through, you can appreciate that a bit more. Yeah. I really feel like the movie lives or dies on that big talk scene. So yeah. it sure is a good thing that that big talk scene is the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it contextualizes absolutely everything that's come before, like that this is what's going on with Hank and this is what he has to let go of for him to slay his monster. As far as the actual, how it treats the actual female characters in this, I think there's, there's two general categories. There's everybody else, Jess, Pam, and Jade or Jane, mm-hmm. um, who are, you know, they're there. They're fine. And then there's there's Abby, who uh, yeah. is much more of a concern in the movie. Yeah, and I think it treats her incredibly well, right? Because it, we do have that idealized version of her at first, but then it works hard to tear that down. She's flawed. She's messy. Like, the way she left him was cruel, and even she admits that. It's very intelligent the way the movie builds up an idealized version of her to tear it down and replace it with with a human being. Yeah, that was incredibly lovable, like way more interesting and full than the version he was remembering. Yeah, because it feels like if that version he's remembering is the real thing, then she must have been kidnapped because there's no way that <laughs> that woman would have, you know, run away on him and put him right. through all this. Not with how great that relationship clearly is. The flashback they have when, again, it's very uncouth to ask a couple of no kids, like, when are you going to have kids? <laughs> yeah. You don't know what their deal is or what's going on. But again, that was like, oh, okay. Like, I think I was expecting a little more of that 500 Days of Summer style. Like, oh, I see how Hank is idealizing while there's clearly cracks beneath the surface. Whereas what we got is just kind of like that Kodak moment. This is the cell phone video I have of my dead wife before I go on my vengeance. Yeah, like I I said, though, earlier, I think it is there more on the rewatch where you see her emotion a bit in her eyes and how she's reacting to him. Even as she's smiling, like there's a little bit of like, oh, okay, in a lot of those scenes. And and this is where it may have some kind of crossover with our last question, which I guess is how does it deal with questions of, you know, mental illness or 
I guess, mental wellness in this case. I think the interesting part of the mental health of this movie is the the way that it intersects with um, his traditional masculinity and the rigid roles and how that is harming him in a mm-hmm. mental health way. Yes. Yeah. Hank's having a bad time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can tell by his beard. <laughs> I also, at a certain point, I have in my notes, like, is the beard how we tell the passage of time? <laughs> <laughs> the beard and the the neck of his shirt yes 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 it is indeed uh what's what's our final judgments on the movie is it good would we recommend it yeah i loved it yeah for sure yes yeah same for i know me, but yeah. i mean it's so it's very well shot very well directed the leads are very well acted and it, it's such a unique genre blending experience honestly <laughs> yeah they, they do a lot with a very little the only exteriors we get really are the the house and then the outside of Shane's house. We don't ever see the exterior of the bar. We get the interior yeah. of the bar and the interior of you know their house and Hank's house, which Hank's house could mm-hmm. really be a house or not Hank yeah. Shane Shane's house could be really the inside of any house. <laughs> um, yeah. Any anything with a you know an island. Uh. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, but they they create the idea of a place so well that you're pointing out that we didn't see those things. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we didn't. Is it, it feels like a place, even if we don't get to see much of it. I also have this crazy thought that, again, going back to like using this as an example for hard conversations. Yeah. I'm thinking about using this as like if I'm conducting therapy with a couple. <laughs> who is- <laughs> I love that so much like sending them home and being like your homework is to watch this movie and then come back with your reactions <laughs> like oh that, that could give you so much insight into what's happening there i love I that like, so much i feel like that's a healthy version like i'm trying to imagine doing that with like now go watch gone girl and it's like, <laughs> no good outcome is coming from that yeah, like this, is- this could actually be therapeutic versus gone girl which is nope yeah. someone's gonna kill somebody yeah, gone girl's Gun Girl, the only possible good reaction from that is, well, we're not that far gone, so. <laughs> oh, Rosamund Pike still robbed. I still say she was robbed for an Oscar. <laughs> I love that idea. This is therapy homework. I love it so much. <laughs> because the issues they're dealing with are so real and are important and deep, but mm-hmm. are overcomeable, there is a lot to be said for, like, what you, if you're, I guess, if a couple on the rocks, like, what you see yourself. In mm-hmm. Abby and Hank, it's a. This was a. It was a good romance. Yes, mm-hmm. I love that you came around on this movie so hard. <laughs> Almost all of the commentary you saw, uh, Chris, was really from like before the last twenty minutes. <laughs> I know. I just got like all of these messages that were like, "What is happening? What the fuck? This is so straight." <laughs> <laughs> And then the last 20 minutes happened and I stopped DMing you at that point because I'm like, I have all the things to say and I'm going to save <laughs> yes. them for the podcast. Exactly. I think we've learned that the key to getting the two of you to buy into a straight relationship <laughs> is to place it in a, a uh, progressive horror movie. It's true. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Throw in a monster for me. That'll be, that'll make it <laughs> spicier. All right. I mean, uh, during this podcast, I got nail polish on my computer. So that should oh. tell you a little bit of how I am about gender. <laughs> I love that so much. Now, was that because you were polishing your own nails or were you <laughs> treating the computer? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is an important question. I was polishing my own nails and then just I, accidents. You're like, happened. this mouse is awfully straight. Let's- <laughs> yes. <laughs>
It's a touch. It's a it's a touch screen. It's a touch oh, no. mouse. Oh no! With that out of the way, uh, for somebody who say liked After Midnight, uh, what is something that you guys would recommend they go check out? Okay, so I have three, so I'll go quickly. But I couldn't narrow it down. So first of all, if you want to just become a complete stan of Bria Grant with me, I would recommend the podcast Reading Glasses because it truly is the best thing. And like I said, has got me through pandemic because it is a stress relief in a podcast. And it's about books and they recommend horror books. And so many of the ones that I've brought up on the show, I learned about from there. The second thing is Bria Grant is also a writer and she wrote a horror graphic novel. (gasps) Uh-huh. And it is about, just wait, Carly, wait for the gas because wait, what, what you heard what about. I gotta check this out. Okay, but here's what it is. It is Mary Shelley's fictional descendant who treats the injuries of monsters with a haunted doll that is haunted by the ghost of Shirley Jackson. And then the third thing is if you actually want something like this movie, because neither one of those things are, to be fair. They're just me like saying Brian Grant is the best and I love her. But if you want something like this movie that has a, a similar kind of folk horror vibe to it, um, there's a book that came out this year called The Only Good Indians. Uh, it is a indigenous own voice horror novel that's set in a small town like this. And, uh, but the characters are um, almost entirely indigenous people. And the monster is very similar to this monster. There's, a, there's the same kind of vibes going on, but very different themes of what is being represented. And I won't spoil them because they're really interesting. My recommendation would be uh, something that if you want some another movie that really focuses on a very emotionally complicated relationship in a very mentally intense setting um, with great acting. I'm going with uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Ooh, good pick. My recommendation is if you want more information about masculinity, it's For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. And it has like, I think it's really accessible and easy to read. And I think if you have any man in your life that uh, embodies some of these like traditional qualities, that it's a really good way to maybe gain some insight um, and empathy and kind of how you might go about having hard conversations with them. I love that that I realized there's a difference between you and me was that I thought the <laughs> I thought the end of that sentence was going to be you give it to them. And I'm like, oh no, you use it for empathy. Okay, right, that, <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> So I, I thought a lot about this one and I was trying to think of uh, what I ended up trying to think of is, is something where it has this same component of something big, crazy and supernatural finally making some dudes talk about their feelings. So uh, what I came up with is the uh, it was originally a comic miniseries. It's now bound as a graphic novel, God Country by Donnie Cates oh, and Jeff Shaw. I, lo- I love that book. Yeah, which is a, a story about a guy who uh, an old man who, who gets a mythical weapon, which restores his mind he's suffering from dementia and he is slowly dying he finds this mythical weapon and uh he is faced with the the problem of you know using this to to do what needs to be done and and save the world and help his family you know in which case he would then lose the sword would lose what kim what comes with having it and it it focuses a lot more on the relationship between this main character who is an, an older man and his kind of shitty adult son and then sort of <laughs> finally having this opportunity to you know connect 
um, that, that seemed like it had already been missed. But yeah, it also has this giant uh, story about magical weapons and gods and stuff in the middle of it. It's a really fascinating book. And it's one of those ones that when I read it, I was like, yeah, I've never read anything like this. And, and it's really good. And I, I think definitely worth checking out. And that uh, that wraps things up. So it's going to take us to our outros. So Carly, can you tell people where they can find you online? So I'm limited social media. I pretty much have... Uh... Instagram. So you can follow me at carly.richard20 um, if you want some really good dog pictures. Otherwise, if you just search Carly, K-R-L-E-Y, Richard, you can see some of my research online and also contact me at my school at IUP. So I think my emails on our IUP website. And Carly just had an article come out, which is yeah. so awesome. Ooh, hell yeah. Thank you. It's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I'm Carly's dance mom, just to be honest. You are my dance mom. You can't see Chris, but I'm making a heart symbol with my hands. Oh, I could tell. It was in your voice. (laughs) Analyze them, baby. Do it. (laughs) All right. Now, uh, Chris, where can can everybody find you online? Um, You can find me on Twitter at The Myth of Psyche, uh, where I talk about feminism, queerness. And you can also find me on my other podcast, Gotham Outsider, where I talk about Batman and queerness. I have a theme. Uh, it's vengeance. Um, yeah. It's vengeance. <laughs> I am 90% spite. Ben, what sort of self-promotion did you have to get in? Uh, just the regular, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. And uh, Renegade Rule is now available for pre-order uh, through Amazon or PenguinRandomHouse.com. And uh, you can find me online, uh, both Twitter and uh, Instagram. It's at jrome 58 so J-R-O-M-E-5-8. By the time this comes out, all of the uh, Marvel Action Chillers miniseries should have come out. Uh, the first, as we're recording this, the first issue has just come out this week. Um, so there's you know fun stories about uh, Iron Man's mini machines trying to kill him. I get to make a series of very nerdy jokes because they wanted uh, things to be themed after classical monsters. So the Iron Man story is uh, is called Iron Man or the Postmodern Prometheus. Um, <laughs> I thought was very clever. I like um, that. I had to defend that to a couple of editors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of fun. It should be out anywhere comic books are sold. As for the podcast, we do have a Patreon, which should be up by the time uh, this is, is going up. It's just patreon.com slash progressively horrified, uh, where you can... Uh, help support the podcast you can get extra bonus content which we're we're working on producing right now as well as uh you know fun things like t-shirts our our podcast for the twitter is uh prog horror pod uh, so follow that and i'll tell you all about when we have new stuff coming out and uh, if you don't mind wherever you got this we would love if you would drop some reviews on there so you can help other people find it as well um you know the more stars the better uh, we, we would really appreciate it well, that, that does it for us today. Uh, join us next week when we're going to be talking about the 2017 movie Mayhem, directed by Joe Lynch and starring some of our favorites, Samara Weaving and Steven Yeun, a podcast which will almost certainly include the phrase 2020 energy and eat the rich. <laughs> See you then. So good. This episode was written by Jeremy Whitley, Chris Carey, Ben Kahn, and Carly Richard. 
All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Colo 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. You can become an important part of Progressively Horrified by becoming a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash progressivelyhorrified. If you want to sponsor Progressively Horrified, please contact us via Twitter at proghorrorpod or our email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. I apologize. I promise to never sing again. <laughs> Ever in your life. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pitch this to you, Carly. Here you go. Pitch it. <laughs> go. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm pitching it to you. <laughs> okay, sorry. I was like, I thought you were pitching me. <laughs> She's okay. handing it off to you, not pitching it to you. Oh, it's great. Different. Fantastic. I'm catching now. Okay. Our sports metaphors are <laughs> yeah. not, not doing well. That fell flat for me. Who would have um, guessed? <laughs> We're not the podcast oh to make make these metaphors. Whoops. Not, yeah, sorry. It's um, okay. Yeah, like. <laughs> yeah.